right? A very warm and fuzzy welcome. Fuzzy? Why not? Very warm and fuzzy welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Thursday, October 21st, 2021, which makes this 10 21 2021. It sounds kind of cool, I guess. All right, we're in the middle of the Torah portion of Vayera, and we have so much good stuff to get to. So bear with me as I get my screen ready to share. Um, this has been an action pack. I don't know. I mean, it's it, there's a lot in every Torah portion, but this Torah portion, it just feels like there's so many stories. It's like Abraham and the circumcision and the visit and God's visit, the angel's visit, the promise of a child, the overturning of Sodom, that just all this stuff is going on. And then Lot and his wife and the salt and his daughters and the children from his daughters. All this stuff is going on. Anyway, um, yesterday, which was Wednesday, let's see where we got to. Yeah. We got to the end of the story of Lot and his daughters. And today we pick it up with Genesis chapter 20. So I'm going to share my screen with you. Let's jump in. All right, Abraham is on the move. Abraham is on the move. Genesis chapter 20. Here we go. And Abraham traveled from there. Remember, Abraham was near Sodom, the whole destruction. He was able to look out and see the smoke billowing up from the plain. God told him about the destruction. Abraham travels and he goes to the land of the south. The land of the south. In Hebrew, the Negev. Negev. Ha-Negev. He goes to the south. And he dwelt between Kadesh and between Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said about Sarah, his wife. Now, one second, one second. Slow down. I'm telling myself, slow down. Gerar was the place where the Philistines, the Plishtim, lived. The Philistines. We spoke about the Philistines. Plishtim last night. Hijacked love. Unhealthy love. That was last night's terror studies class. But this is where the Philistines were living. Once again, when Abraham and Sarah, Avram and Sarah, come to a new place, they do this whole, we're not married, we're just siblings, as kind of a protection thing to, uh, to make sure that no one knocks him off, no one knocks off Abraham to marry Sarah. So here we go. Abraham said about Sarah's wife, she is my sister. And Avimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So, oh, that's your sister. Bring her to me. The king says, I would like to meet her. All right, I'm using the word meet euphemistically. God came to Avimelech in a dream of the night. And he said to him, behold, you are going to die. God says, you're going to die because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a married woman. Yeah, you didn't know this because you were told that Abraham and Sarah were siblings. But God says, let me tell you, you've now taken a married woman, you're going to die. Now, Abimelech, the Torah says, Abimelech had not come near to her. So nothing had happened. He had just, he had just called for her, but nothing had happened. And he said to God, oh Lord, will you kill even a righteous nation? In other words, you're going to kill the innocent? Did he, Abraham, not say to me, she's my sister? In other words, you're blaming me? You're saying, I, I'm going to die because I did something. I didn't do anything wrong. I was told they were siblings. What? I didn't know she was married. How is this my fault? How am I guilty? This is Avimelech justifying himself to God, maybe in a dream, maybe now out of the dream. It says that God came to him in a dream of the night. Is it literally a dream? Are they conversing in a dream? I don't know. But there's a dialogue. Abimelech says, what, you're going to take out a righteous person, an innocent person? I was told she's my sister, uh, they're sisters. And she, even she said he's my brother. She corroborated the story. With the innocence of my heart and with the purity of my hands, have I done this? I'm innocent of heart and pure of hands. I did not have any malicious intent. I was not intending on, on stealing a married woman. I was not intending on any act of infidelity or morality, I thought she was available. Now, slow down. Was he truly innocent? Was he truly free of guilt? I mean, did he not anyway call for her? They weren't married to each other. Like, what was, the, what was his intent anyway? So clearly he's not the, 
He's not the most moral fellow we can imagine in general. But of intentionally going after a married woman, that we can say that he, he, he um, justifies himself over here. Now we could say, yeah, he indeed, that, that makes sense. And God said to him in a dream, I too know that you did this with the innocence of your heart. God says, I know, I know, I get it. You were innocent of heart and I too have withheld you from sinning to me. In other words, I have helped you not be with her. So don't think that you didn't want to. You did want to, but I've orchestrated things that it hasn't happened yet. Therefore, I did not let you touch her, right? God says I made things happen where you guys didn't get too close. And now, here's the bottom line, God says, return the man's wife because he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you will surely die, you and all that is yours. God says very sternly, look, you might have been innocent, but now you have to send her back home. Send her back home to her husband. If you don't, you're going to die. It sounds like he already got sick and the cure is going to happen when Abraham prays. He's only going to pray if you send his wife back. If not, no vaccine for you. No cure for you. Okay, that's kind of the dialogue here. So interesting. Let's... um. Toggle a Rashi that I wanted to reference. Let's see if we can find it. Give me a moment. Let's see if I can find it here. Yeah. Here we go. (laughs) Uh, Rashi. It is true that you did not intend at first to sin, but you cannot claim purity of hands because I did not let you. It was not due to you that you did not touch her, but I prevented you from sinning, for I did not give you strength. And so, and God did not let him, and so, but her father did not allow him to come. The idea is not allow. Rashi is explaining the language. I did not allow. Did not let you. Hashem, God tells Abimelech, hey, don't pretend like you're totally innocent. You did call her to the palace and you were planning on something with her. I had to intervene and not and, and sap your energy, whatever that means precisely. Yeah, we could you know, use our imagination, whatever that means. But I, I ensured that you don't have the ability to be with her, etc. And thus, I get some credit here as well. But now your responsibility is to send her back home to Abraham. He's a prophet. He'll bless you and things will be good. So let's continue with the narrative. Um, Here we go. Okay, so that was God's communication with Avimelech. All right, now up to verse 8. And Avimelech arose early in the morning and he summoned all his servants and he spoke all these words in their ears. He told them what happened that night, last night, with the dream and the communication. And the men were very frightened. Everybody was panicking, like, oh my gosh, what do we do? What do we have in our hands? This woman, she's in the palace. We got to get rid of her. We got to send her back home. So Abimelech summoned Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And what have I sinned against you? That you have brought upon me and upon my kingdom a great sin. In other words, why are you, you're, you're, you're messing us up. Abraham, you're setting us up to do something really terrible. What, why have you done this to us? What do we do wrong to you that you're getting us back with this, with this whole story? I, right? Why, you, you're, you're leading us into potential sin over here. Deeds that are not done, you have done to me. In other words, no one does this. Who does this? Who says about their wife that they're a sister and then somebody doesn't know and they might, you know. Deeds that are not done, you've done to me. Abimelech is unhappy. He, uh, to God, he, he, he says, hey, I'm the victim. Basically, Abimelech is saying, I'm the victim. Sarah's the victim. Abraham's the victim. I'm the victim. I'm the one who's... Vi-. So he, you know, he flips it that way. I, listen, I, just let me, let me add, it, add in my own editorializations right now. Like I try to stick to the script, but I'll tell you a little bit my thoughts. I understand him. I understand him. He feels like, you know, they, they weren't up front with him. It's not his fault. He didn't know. How was he supposed to know? At the same time, like I said before, look, I, he still went after a woman, even if she's single, even if she's not married, he still called her to the palace, you know, just, hey, you know, be with me. So is he, is he you know, the most moral dude in the world? I don't know. 
depends how you define morality, right? Obviously, but anyway, but he's clearly, you know, saying to God, I'm innocent in this to, uh, to, to Abraham. You're harming me. I'm not harming you. You're harming me. You set me up. Okay. And Abimelech said to Avram, what did you see that you did this thing? Like, why, why did you do this? Why this whole ruse? Why the game? Why, why get me in, set me up to get in trouble? Verse 11, And Abraham said, For I said, Surely there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Same rationale with, uh, with Egypt. Again, I'll just repeat it. We did it last week. Um, if we say we're married, and the king wants her, wants Sarah, so what's going to happen is they're going to kill me, and then take her. If I say sister, they'll take her, but at least I can advocate. At least I'm still around. So either way they take her, one, in one scenario I'm dead, the other scenario I'm alive, and maybe I have a uh, negotiation. So he says, I thought, surely there's no fear of God in this place, right? It's not a God-fearing place. There's no year shamayim, there's no reverence for something. There's no morality, there's no objective. Objective morality. So they'll kill me. And also, indeed, she is my sister. Abram says, I lied? I didn't lie. She's my sister. Oh, okay, hold on. Not literal sister, but the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Let's check out the family tree. Let's see if we have a quick note on this guy. Give me a second. Rabbi, why did Abraham so you know journey away from where he had been at this point? Good, excellent question. It doesn't mention a famine, right? It doesn't mention that. Um, Rashi explains. Sorry for not mentioning this before. When Abraham saw that the cities had been destroyed and that travelers had ceased to pass by, he migrated from there. Remember, Abraham's entire role, his avodah, his, his, his thing was he had a tent that was open on all sides and anyone who passed by, he pulled them in, fed them and taught them. That was his deal. So you have to set yourself up, you know, like the, like the young Chabad rabbis, like the young rabbinical students in Manhattan on the streets. Hey, excuse me, you Jewish? You want to wrap tefillin? Right. You wouldn't go in an abandoned shopping mall because you're not going to get any traffic. Right. So Abraham has set up shop right near the big cities, the metropolis of Sodom and Amorah. Well, they've been destroyed, so there's no one, there's no foot traffic anymore. So he's moving to a place that has more traffic. Another explanation to distance himself from Lot, who had acquired a bad reputation because he had been intimate with his daughters. Right, and that's the proximity to the story that we just read right before that, right? As Lot has a child from his daughters, Abraham's like, you know what, I think I'm going to move just because I'm your uncle and now it's a little bit complicated, this family tree. So anyway, so Abraham, either way, that's why Abraham moves. Um, that's why he travels. Now let's pick it up over here. How is she his sister? What's going on? Sister, my father's daughter, not my mother's daughter. What's going on here? So Rashi says the following. The daughter of one's father is permitted for a Noahide for marriage. For a Gentile has no father. It was a Gentile has no father. The lineage is not traced from his father. And in order to justify his words, he answered him this way. Now, if you ask, was she not the daughter of his brother? The answer is that grandchildren are considered like children. So, I, listen, there's a lot of back and forth. But honestly, this is the main point. Was she not the daughter of his brother? She was the daughter of his brother. She was not the daughter of his father. She was the daughter of his brother. So why did he say she's the daughter of his father? Because grandchildren are like children. Therefore, she was considered as Terah's daughter. She was not Terah's daughter. So let me cut through, cut through the complication. She was Abraham's niece. She was Abraham's niece. Not the brother of Lot from another brother. There were three brothers. Are you with me? Abraham and two brothers. One of the other brother's son was Lot. The other brother's daughter was Sarah, 
And that's who he married. He married his niece. That's it. That's it. Um, but marrying a niece, that does, that's, not, uh, that's not something that's done. That's not something permitted nowadays. Uh, in, in, sorry, not nowadays. Uh, nowadays also, but not in Jewish law. But again, this is before Sinai and, and different rules, different, uh, different rules that governed them at that point in time. Okay, so that's the deal with that. So Abraham says to Abimelech, number one, why did I do this? Right? Abimelech says, why did you do this to me? He says, number one, um, because I thought you were going to kill me. Yeah, I didn't trust, I don't trust your morality. I don't trust your, 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 your moral compass. I don't. I believe that if I would have said from the beginning that she's my wife, that you would have killed me. Now, we can't rewind time and try another scenario, but I believe that that's what would have happened. You're telling me that wouldn't have happened? I don't know. But, but you're asking me why I did this. I'm telling you why I did this. And the fact that I lied, she is my sister. In other words, family, not only marriage, but also a relative otherwise. So sister is a colloquial term that refers to also niece or whatever. Okay. Let's continue. And it came to pass when God caused me to... Yeah, Joy. Unmute. Yeah. Okay. Not, not to be a devil's advocate, but I'm going to be it anyway. It just seems from a woman's perspective that both Lot, both Lot and Abraham were giving up their women. Like, here, oh, don't hurt me. Take her. Yes. Correct. Yes. Yeah. I agree. That's why, um, uh, that's why I gave, right. So with Lot, I don't know. Again, unless he, whatever. But um, with Abraham, the rationale that resonates with me, because I have the same question. Rationale that resonates with me is him thinking, look, there are two, have two options here. Maybe there are three, I don't know. But the two that, that are on the table here is, this is my wife or this is my sister. This is my wife, they're going to kill me. Now, the problem with that is they're still going to take her. So she's still now um, vulnerable. But she's now more vulnerable because I'm out of the picture. If I say she's my sister, right? So it makes it sound like, well, then I get to live. Then well, whatever happens to you, happens to you. But I, again, that's why I think, again, my understanding is that it's not just about him, because that sounds very selfish, that it's really about her. It's I will live and then be able to, to help, then be able to step in, be able to advocate, be able to do something as opposed to being dead. So in one scenario, she's vulnerable on her own. In the other scenario, she's vulnerable indeed, but at least he's alive. And vis-a-vis her, he might be able to help. That's the little twist that I have on it so that it makes sense. Otherwise, I'm with you on the question. I'm with you on the question. Um, so Abraham continues to explain to, to Abimelech, to the king. And it came to pass when God caused me, caused me to wander from my father's house. I guess that's the beginning of the journey, lech lecha, that I said to her, this is your kindness, which you shall do with me, whither we come, say about me, he is my brother. Right? He says, from when we started traveling, my wife and I had this deal. Wherever we go, we're siblings, we're not married. That's it. We're siblings. I, he felt it was a safer option, certainly for him. And I'm, I'm saying... Possibly even for And Abimelech took flocks. Okay, so that was the, that's the end of the dialogue. Abimelech comes to him and he says, What did you do to me? You set me up. What's wrong with who does this? And Abram says, Look, this is why he did it. And this is who does it. All right. Okay, next. And Abimelech took flocks and cattle. And men servants and maidservants. And he gave them to Abraham. And he restored to him his wife Sarah. So what's happening here is, once again, like with Pharaoh, Abraham gets stuff. He gets material wealth. Flocks, cattle, men servants, maid servants. He's getting it from the king from Abimelech. And of course, he gets his wife. And Abimelech said, here is my land before you. Wherever it pleases you, you may dwell. Very interesting. Abimelech says, not only am I, I believe it was Pharaoh who said, here's the stuff, here's your wife, leave. Avimelech says, here's gifts. Here's your wife. You can stay. That's nice. Here's my land before you. Wherever it pleases you, may, you may dwell. Wherever you want. Um, and to Sarah, he said, behold, I've given a thousand pieces of silver to your brother. 
<laughs> calls him brother. It's hilarious. You can imagine now it's tongue in cheek. It's like, I gave it to your brother, right? Behold, it is to you a covering of the eyes for all who are with you and with all you shall contend. Um, he's basically giving, him, giving her a nice blessing. Let's see how Rashi unpacks this blessing. Um, Abimelech said in her honor, in order to appease her, Behold, I have bestowed upon you this honor. I have given money to your brother, about whom you said is my brother. Behold, this money and this honor are to you a covering of the eyes. What does that mean? They will cover their eyes so that they will not denigrate you. For had I returned you empty-handed, they could say after he violated you, he returned her. Now that I have spent much money and to appease you, they will know that against my will I returned you and through a miracle. If she goes home empty-handed, everyone's going to rumor, they're going to shushki, oh, you know what happened? Avimelech was with her and sent her home, and that's it. But now that she's honored, so it must be that something happened, a miracle intervened, and I... So basically he said, I'm doing this so that no one rumors about you. Are you with me on this? In other words, we have the story in the Torah that nothing happened between them. But to anyone else, king takes Sarah, the next morning she goes back to her husband, what happened? Yeah, I mean, 9 out of 10 times? 99 out of 100 times? 999 out of 1,000 times? We can keep on going, but I'm sure you get the point. It's like, what are the odds that something didn't happen? And the fact that she would come back and say, oh yeah, nothing happened. And Abraham said nothing happened. The king would say nothing happened. Nah, it's a little sus, as the kids say. Sus. Suspicious. Right? So, but now that he gives her all this stuff, he's saying somehow it's going to help corroborate the story, that, or help, not corroborate the story, but help verify and validate that nothing indeed happened according to that logic that Rashi says. Okay. Um, and you will be able to contend with all the people in the world. In other words, you shall have the opportunity to contend and to show these evident facts. By the way, I need to tell you something, okay? Because I feel like there's a piece of information that's very important that, that, uh, that I have to share. When Sarah eventually gives birth to Isaac, yeah? You know what the rumor was? It's not Abraham's kid. That was the rumor. That was the rumor. Because she gives birth shortly after, I mean shortly, whatever, months after she spends the night, without, uh, not with, at the palace of Avimelech. And everyone's like, well, what do you think happened? Uh, you know? And then, miraculously, she gets pregnant. Yeah, after all these years with her husband, now she gets pregnant. Again, we know the story. We got the Torah. We got the, we got the, we got the truth from the source. But what were people saying? That's why it says that God created a miracle and made Isaac's face look identical to his father Abraham. So that that would debunk, that would put an end to all of the, the rumors, all of the, the lush and hara the lushing, all of the gossip about, um, about Sarah and Abimelech. Are you with me on this? Yes? Sort of? Okay. Let's, uh, let's jump back in. All right. And Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his handsmaid and they gave birth. What happened was Avimelech and his household and all, they were all afflicted with this plague. They all got sick. Their orifices closed, like everything was closed. And then when Abraham prayed to God after Sarah was returned, God healed Avimelech and his wife and the handmaids and they all gave birth. They all, everything opened up. Literally, metaphorically. Okay. For the Lord had shot every womb of Avimelech's household because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Okay, let's continue Genesis chapter 21. This is the reading of day one of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah day one. What do you read from the Torah? Right here. This is what you read. And the Lord remembered Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age 
at the time of which God had spoken to him on Passover one year later, after the original communication. When was Sarah remembered by God? When did she conceive? Rosh Hashanah. That's why we read it on Rosh Hashanah. We read on Rosh Hashanah to remind us of the power of prayer, the power of miracles, the power of God's blessings. Okay, Even when something seems impossible, Sarah and Abraham having a kid after all these years, Rosh Hashanah, anything's possible. High holidays, really every time of year, every day, but especially that time, we pray for what we need, even if it seems impossible. All right, so she gets, she gets pregnant. She has a child at the time that was foretold. And Abraham, verse 3, named his son who had been born to him, whom Sarah had born to him, Isaac. That was his name, Isaac. Yitzchak, Yitzchak. Laughter. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, Yitzchak, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him last week's Torah portion. Right? God said, from now on, all Jewish boys, eight days old, circumcision, this is the first time it happens at eight days with Isaac. Let's jump to reading number five, which is really today's reading. So we've just read about the birth of Isaac. I told you this Torah portion is chock full of excitement, chock full of drama. Let's continue. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Remember, they were told about the child at 99. He was 99, she was 89. A year later, she had the child, he was 100, she was 90. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made joy for me. Joy is tzchok, tzchok, like Yitzchak, right? Tzchok, joy, laughter. Whoever hears will rejoice over me. In other words, whoever hears the news, Sarah has a child, what? Abraham, Sarah. Sarah from Sarah's tent, that's it, had a child? You're kidding me, what? It would bring joy and just astonishment and laughter to anyone who would hear that news. And she said, who would have said? Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Who would have thought? For I have borne a son to his old age. But indeed, she gave birth, she nursed him, her body was returned to its youthful state. And, uh, and that's it. And that's it. She had, the, uh, she had this child. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. This was the great feast. All the dignitaries, the Medrash says, oh, the Medrash, the Tom would get into details what happened at this feast. Everybody was there. A big party, a big party, big suda. How old was he? Three, maybe 13, depending on, uh, on, on, the, on the tradition. Anyway, this great party happens. At the party, Oak tells Abraham, sorry, some sort of bug here. Oak tells Abraham, remember Oak the giant? Oak, our, our, our friendly, unfriendly giant? He says, Isaac, this kid, uh, you're so waiting for this kid. I could crush this little kid with my finger. He's a giant after all, right? I could crush him with a finger. And, and Abraham tells him, uh, you think he should be afraid of you? You should be afraid of him. His descendants will ultimately triumph over you. And indeed, it was Moses who ultimately slew Og, the giant, in the great war that happened um, at the end of the 40 years of traveling, which we read about in the book of Numbers, when the Jews were on, their, on the final march to the Holy Land, O came out to fight. They were victorious. The Jewish people destroyed Og and, and, his, and, his, uh, and his army, and Moses himself slew Og. All right, let's continue. This is, uh, but, but there was a dialogue that happens and was recorded at that party, at this party right here at verse 8. Let's continue with number 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian. whom she had born to Abraham, making merry. Now, basically, Sarah, now as a child, remember, Hagar has a 13-year-old child, who's uh, Ishmael, and she sees Ishmael is making merry. What does it mean, making merry? Let's see Rashi. Rashi says, 
Mitzachek, again, that word Mitzachek, like Yitzchak, Mitzachek, but this is referring to the, to the brother, to Ishmael, an expression of idolatry. As it is said, and they rose up to make merry, this is regarding the golden calf. It used the same word, Tzachek, Litzachek, regarding idolatry, the golden calf. So what does it mean that, what does it mean that he make merry? It means that she saw him serving idols. Another explanation, it's an expression of illicit sexual relations. As it is said, um, to mock me, let's to mock me. This is regarding uh, the wife of Potiphar, the master of of Joseph in the Joseph drama, when she accused him of assault. Right? She said, "This Hebrew, you brought this Hebrew into our house, and he just tried to assault me and rape me and all that stuff." So that's she says, "You brought him home to our house to mock me, let's but that means to elicit sexual sexual relations. So. There you go. So that can mean that. Another explanation, expression of murder. As it said in another verse, let the boys get up now and support and sport before us. And that word, Yitzchaku, can mean sport and that means murder. So it's the three cardinal sins. In case you're, uh, you're, uh, you're wondering, these are the three cardinal sins. Idolatry, um, immorality, and murder. So whether it was one of the three, two of the three, or all of the three, Sarah sees the son of Hagar, Ishmael, making merry, doing something, activities that are not, not kosher. And Sarah, one second, let me toggle Rashi off for a second, makes it easier to read. And Sarah said to Abraham, to her husband, drive out this handmaid and her son. You gotta, gotta get rid of them. Negative influence. For the son of this handmaid shall not inherit with my son with Isaac. Sounds like the issue is inheritance, but really it's about a bad influence. This boy is now 13. He's not a good influence. We have to distance this child um, away from the house. Kick him out. But the matter greatly displeased Abraham concerning his son. Abraham did not want to kick out his son from his house. Can you imagine the difficult position that Abraham is in? He's being told by Sarah, his wife, to kick out. The handmaid and her, the Hagar and her son, Abraham's first son, he doesn't want to do it. A lot of, lot, it's a very complicated situation now. What do you do? So God steps in. God said, said to Abraham, be not displeased. Concerning the lad and concerning your handmaid, whatever Sarah tells you, hearken to her voice. For an Isaac will be called your seed. God tells Abraham, listen to your wife. Listen to your wife. He's not a good influence. Isaac is your legacy, tor- your torch, not bearer, whatever, the one who, you're pa- who, who you will pass the torch to. So, yes, you can send away Hagar and Ishmael. But you should know, also the son of the handmaid I will make into a nation because he is your seed. He will also be great. Because he's your child. But don't worry, he'll be taken care of. But he doesn't need to be in the house. And Abraham arose early in the morning. And he took bread and a leather pouch of water. And he gave them to Hagar. And he placed them on her shoulder. And the child. And he sent her away. And she went and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. 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 So this is what's going on. He sends them away in the morning. He gives them some food and drink. And that's it. And the water was depleted from the leather pouch. They ran out of water. And she cast the child under one of the bushes. She put him down to rest. No water. She put him down under one of the bushes for some shade. Remember, they're in the desert. Can you imagine how hot the desert is? It's a desert. No water. So she feels like he's going to die. She can't bear to see him suffer. She puts him under a bush. That's it. She walks away. And she went and sat down far from, from afar at about the distance of two bow shots. Two bow shots. I guess in the era of bows and arrows, you would know what that is. I don't know what that is. Two bow shots. It's a far distance. For she said, let me not see the child's death. She didn't want to see her, her child suffer and die. And she sat from afar And she raised her voice and wept. Clearly, she loves her child. They run out of water. Just to recap the story. He's 
not, he's not doing well. She puts him under the shade and then walks away. She can't bear, she can't bear to see. And God heard the lad's voice and an angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and he said to her, What is troubling you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the lad's voice in the place where he is. In other words, you think he's going to die. He's not going to die. God heard. God has heard your voice. And um, it's going to be good. Rise, pick up the lad and grasp your hand upon him. For I shall make him to a great nation. God says, or the angel of God communicates God's voice, God's message. The angel of God says, don't be afraid, don't be troubled, Hashem is listening, take your child and everything will be okay. Don't abandon him, take your child. Cut to the next scene. And God opened her eyes and she saw, you guessed it, a well of water. And she went and filled the pouch with water and gave the lad to drink. There was no, she did not see a well of water before. She didn't see it. She cries out, he cries out, God says, I heard you, God says to the angel, the angel says, God's heard your, 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 your cries, your prayers, you'll be okay. And suddenly, well of water. The commentaries discuss, was it a new well of water that miraculously appeared, or was it a well of water that was there, but she didn't see it? Eh? Two ways of looking at it. One could say the well of water was already there, but she was so despondent, she didn't see it. And this is the truth in life. Sometimes we're so um, stressed out about something. We're so nervous about something that we don't see the solution that's right here. The solution could be sitting right next to us and we don't see it because we're panicked. When we're panicked, we make the worst decisions because we don't see the solution. We're just filled with fear. We're filled with anxiety. We're filled with um, stress and, and we're not able to see the solution. So it could be that the well of water was already there. It wasn't a mirror. It was there. She didn't see it. Once God reassures her that everything's going to be okay, she can relax and she sees the well. That's one opinion. And the other opinion is no. God created a new well of water, poofed it into existence, and now there was the opportunity to drink. Well, either way, she went and filled the pouch and gave the lad to drink, and God was with the lad. And the lad grew. Lad, the lad grew and he dwelt in the desert and became an archer. Oh, look at that. We spoke about bows and arrows before. Two bow shots, kind of foreshadowing what's going on here. Anyway, he dwelt in the desert and he had an opportunity to shoot many, many bows, right? With, uh, sorry, many arrows with his bow and arrow because he became an archer. And he dwelt in the desert of Paran and his mother took for him a wife from the land of Egypt. Remember, she was the daughter of Pharaoh. She was so enamored with Abram and Sarah. She said, I'm leaving the palace. I'm leaving my dad, I'm leaving Pharaoh the, the comforts and just going with them, Abraham and Sarah. Well, this is what happens. But now that she's, she has a son, the son's getting old, not getting older, but the son's a young man already, you know, a bar mitzvah boy, so to speak, age. Um, at some point, it was time for him to get married after that. And so she found him a wife from the land of Egypt. Seems like they're on their own at this point. Okay. Let's do one more reading. Okay, one more reading. Tomorrow, we'll do seven and half Torah, although those are two major, major pieces. I mean, not only big, but also just fit in a good way. I'm putting my hands like an agony, but it's a good agony. Filled with such amazing ideas. I don't, I, like, I don't even know how we're going to get through it all, but we'll, uh, we'll save that for tomorrow. We'll have to pull out that trick tomorrow. All right, Genesis chapter 21, verse 22. Now it came to pass at that time. So cut back to, to Abraham. Because the scene cut to where Abraham and Sarah send away Hagar and her son Ishmael. And they go their own way. And that's, that's a new chapter in their lives. Well, back in the at the ranch, Abraham is living amongst the Philistines in Gerar. So it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Pichol, his general, Pichol, Fichol. Fichol was his general. So king and general said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. That we see. We see that yours is a special connection. God is hooking you up. And now swear to me here by God, says, Abraham, says Abimelech, that you will not lie to me 
or to my son, to my grandson, according to the kindness that I've done with you. In other words, I acted very kindly, even though you deceived me, I acted very kindly, I gave you back your wife, and I gave you wealth, and I let you live amongst my people, right? So according to the kindness that I've done with you, you shall do with me, and with the land wherein you have sojourned. So basically, Abimelech says, let's make a deal, let's make a peace treaty, I don't want to hurt you, you don't hurt me. And Abraham said, deal, I will swear. Oath. And Abraham contended with Abimelech. Well, after that little peace treaty, the story unfolds that there is some contention. Abraham contended with Abimelech about the well of water that the servants of Abimelech had forcibly seized. So Abraham had dug a well of water and Abimelech Servants, Abimelech's servants, stole, they seized the well of water. So Abraham says, hello. If we have a peace treaty, then let's sort out this well. And Abimelech said, I do not know who did this thing. The classic, I didn't know about it. Neither did you tell me, nor did I hear of it until today. So I don't know who did it. I didn't hear about it from you, and I didn't hear about it from anybody until today. I had no idea that somebody stole a well. And Abraham took flocks and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and they both formed the covenant. And then Abraham placed seven new lambs by themselves. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what are these seven new lambs which you have placed by themselves? We spoke about this last night in the, in the Torah service class. And he said, Abraham said, for these seven new lambs you shall take from my hand in order that it be for me as a witness, in order that it be to me for a witness that I dug this well. In other words, I'm giving you these seven lambs by you receiving it. You are acknowledging, that's your signature, acknowledgement that yes, Abraham, you dug those wells, that well is yours. Or you dug that well, that well is yours. Therefore, he named that place Be'er Sheva. Be'er, Be'er Sheba, Be'er Sheva, which means the well of the oath. For there they both swore. They swore, Be'er means well. Sheva is an oath. Be'er Sheva is the well of the oath. It's the well over which... They both swore to acknowledge that it's Abraham's and get along. And they both, and, sorry, and they formed the covenant in Beersheba, and Avimelech and Fichol, the general, rose, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. So they, they made it. They made the, the covenant. They made the deal. They shook the hands. And then, then Avimelech and Fichol went back home. And Abraham, however, Abraham planted an Eshel in Beersheba. What is, what's an Eshel? Eshel stands for Achila, Shtia, and Lina, or Levia, which means eating, drinking, and resting or escorting out, which means hospitality. So Abraham plant, planted the Abraham and Sarah B&B. I was about to say Airbnb, but Abe B&B. Eshel is a place to stay, a place to eat, a place to drink. That's what Abraham and Sarah built. They built this space to host people and to inspire people while they were eating. And he called there in the name of the Lord, the God of the world. This is the service of Avram calling there in the world, the name of the Lord, the, the God of the world. Um, Abraham shares monotheism with everybody. And Abraham dwelt in the land of the Philistines for many days. That really means many years, as Rashi says, but it says days for whatever reason. Bottom line is, Abraham lives in in uh, Philistine area. Okay, that takes us to the end of reading number six, which I think is good because tomorrow again seven and Aftorah, and we're uh, we're all caught up. So um, a few themes from today. Number one, the difference between relative morality and absolute morality. Right. So relative morality means well, if I like it, it's good, it's right. Right. If I like it, it's right. Objective morality is it's either right or it's not right. Not because I like it or not, it's just either yes or no, objectively. So, Abraham is concerned that Avimelech is operating by subjective morality. If I like it, it's kosher, right? That's how I define kosher, but what I like, which is a very dangerous space to be in. So that's why Avram says, she's my sister. I don't trust your, I don't trust your moral compass. I don't trust your morality. If I knew that you were a God-fearing person, had absolute, had a reverence to an absolute morality, we have a different conversation. But I don't see that. I don't know that about you. So that's the conversation. This is the conversation that we're having. So that's one idea, one message from, uh, from the reading. We also had the idea um, 
we had the idea of the weaning party, of I, the birth of Isaac and the, the party. And I mentioned Oak saying, I can crush this kid. And that's been the story since. It's been the story since. How people tried to demonize, people tried to demonize, well, also demonize, but put down the Jew and say, ah, Jew, we could crush you. We can beat you into submission. We can knock you out of, we can take you out of this world. But somehow the little Jew faces up against the big giant of the world, the big ogs of the world, stands up and pushes back and says, nope, we, uh, uh, we're here and we're not going anywhere. This is a message, almost basically a message of Jewish pride, right? Being able to stand up to the ogs and not being intimidated. It's not easy to not be, to not be intimidated. It, it, it takes a lot of effort to remain strong and steadfast. But that's the message from that story. Don't be nispal, as they say in, in Hebrew Yiddish. Don't be um, overwhelmed when somebody says you can't. When someone says, you know what I could do to you? I could crush you. You could crush me. Thank you very much. I have, I'm going to make a difference in this world. You can crush me. Don't crush me. We'll see who gets the last laugh, essentially. Abraham tells Og. And indeed, that's what happens. All right, so that's that. Never be intimidated. Never think the world is too big and it's too scary for you to be who you are as an individual. Um, like Donna always, always says, right? When the building says no Hanukkah display, you make a Hanukkah display. That's it. Don't take no for an answer. Am I wrong, Donna? I'm not wrong. I'm right. Donna's our hero in, uh, in, in, in her building. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, so we got a new board. Like, I've been here many years. So every year they had a little token, little Hanukkah menorah, you know. And, but all of a sudden it disappeared last year because there was a new board. So I had to go to the management office and it took some effort and a few communications and this and that. And got them to give it back. And also I have to make sure, because they had put it next to the place where they have dog treats. So I said, that is not appropriate. You can't right. do that. Exactly. <laughs> right. So yeah, so it's a constant, uh, yeah. And then also, yeah, like I said, they only put it there for the eight days. And I said, meanwhile, the Christmas tree is there for two months. Right, right. right. So I said, why not keep it? Just the same time you keep a Christmas tree. But that's the story. The story is trying to push down. The oak says I can squash him with my finger, my little finger. I can squish him. Just put him down, right? It could mean destroy, God forbid, but it could also mean like demean and belittle. And like you're not as important. You're not a. And it's the Jews' responsibility to to stand up and say to defend ourselves. Stand up and say, we're proud of who we are, and we're not afraid afraid to share to, to share that's that. The thing. So. Get them to do it, but still, like you're saying, it's you know. Then they put it next to where it shouldn't be. Then they just put it. For, yeah. It's it's constant that you know that like they're doing us a favor. But. You're you're doing you're you're doing the Jewish battles every generation every you know it, it happens and 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 you're on the front you're on the you're on the front of this one. I want to tell you this: if they made a movie about this, it would be called The Woman Who Saved Hanukkah. I'm just saying. There you go. There you go. In one, in one corner of the world, you're saving, you're saving the spirit of Hanukkah. And that's a beautiful thing. Never discount that. Never discount that. So that's the story of Og. Og says, this, what? This? You, you were waiting all these years for this little kid? This little puny kid? That's going to be your legacy? Abraham and Sarah, when will we have children? And th this is it? I can This is not going to last. This will get crushed. We're still here. Not because we're the strongest. Not because we're the biggest. Not because we're the, we're the most numerous. But because, I don't know, a miracle. Because we're meant to be here. Because we're proud yeah. to be here. Yeah. You know how you mentioned at the beginning, you know, it's not New York City here vis-a-vis -vis the options for kosher food and things. So I'm not in the Jewish, you know, I'm in Bucket, but I'm, it's not the Jewish neighborhood. So like before I got involved, like with Habana, I really never really interacted really too much with many Jews. But anyway, but every year at Rosh Hashanah, I would give little packets of apple and honey to all the staff here because it made me feel good and it made right. them feel good. But they had never met a Jewish person. They didn't know they had met a Jewish person. They didn't know anything about it. You know, it's like I just saw it's already posted the Hanukkah menorahs that Habana does all over the city. 
So I was also doing that. Right. <laughs> See that? Reminds me of the story of Ruchi Fryer that she told Monday night about when she was praying in the stairwell. She thought no one was looking or behind the stairwell. Meanwhile, the security guards, you know, they had been watching her pray or whatever. I mean, it probably sounds, it's probably less creepy than it sounds, but they were watching her, you know, and, 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 and marveling at someone who on her own is dedicated to her faith and doing her thing. And that's it. The, the main, I think this is what I want to end on, this, this theme, is don't be intimidated. Don't look at yourself as small and the world is big. You're as big as you want to be. And you're as strong as you want to be. And you're as influential as you want to be. Right? Seize the moment. Seize the opportunity. Be an influencer, you know, for, for positive and make a difference. That's it. No reason to cower. It's the fear. It's the, it's the head games. It's the emotional stuff that just handcuffs us, that keeps us back from achieving what we need to achieve and what we could achieve. So let's get rid of all the drama, no drama, drama-free zone, and just lean into what we're here to do. Make the world a better place, study Torah, and do mitzvot. Love the other as yourself, and share the light. All right, my friends, it's great to have you here today as always. Please got tomorrow, 12 noon, Friday, special edition, Reading 7, Half Torah. I'm telling you, both are major. What are they about? The Binding of Isaac, major story. The Binding of Isaac happens tomorrow. And the story of Elisha and the, the wife of the prophet whose husband died and she was left penniless. And the miracle that ensued. I can't say more, but it's one of the most beautiful stories, Half Torahs. That exists. It's absolutely, it's, it's so, it's incredible. And there's also a deep mystical, mystical um, interpretation that I can't wait to share with you tomorrow. So that's tomorrow, 12 noon. Um, a quick reminder. Tonight, Curious Tales of the Talmud 2, 3. I know it's complicated. This is Curious Tales of the Talmud 2, Lesson 3. This is a ticket to paradise. Join me tonight, 8 p.m. for that class I look forward to seeing you guys then and tomorrow. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you guys. Joy, Sandrine, Donna, Sarah, Olia. Great to see you all. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure, pleasure. The, of course, of course. It just... Before, uh, the absolutely. If I'm doing the class, then I'm not stressing about stuff that has to be done. See? <laughs> I call that a win-win. Kidding. Anyway, all right. I'll see you guys soon. Take care. Bye. Bye.